Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals, David Moore and Evan Grant. David's out there in Sin City, I believe. Is that not right, David? Sin City, it's a little more of a uh, deluge city at the moment. Uh, when uh, when the uh, uh, on the way here, that you know, that rain or that atmospheric river that's sitting over uh, California kind of overlaps here to the uh, desert. And uh, it was uh, rained most of yesterday. It is uh, raining night right now and is uh, in the fog and it's supposed to rain all day today. And really for the first five days here, it's, uh, I don't believe the temperature is supposed to get above 58, which seems very uh, un-Vegas-like for the most part. All of it's very un-Vegas-like. Rain, cold, Wow. It's a good thing that place has got a roof on it. <laughs> yeah, um, lots of roofs. No shortage yeah. of roofs. Yeah, no, no question. Did, David, about did that. you get invited to Roger Goodell's press conference or were you left out? No, I, I was there yesterday and uh, we were three minutes in before he started talking about Taylor Swift. So I, I thought it showed remarkable restraint <laughs> to put everything in perspective and keep the focus on this game. That was all part of the script. There's significance to the number three. <laughs> yes, yeah. there is. No question. You trace that, connect that dot to this and... So, boys, who who have we got in the Super Bowl? I, I I tell you what, I I know this is this is what the third. I think it's San Francisco, and Kansas City. It's San Francisco, and Kansas City. I think was that your question? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate the update. Uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan, this is his third try, right? Am I am I missing one in there somewhere? Uh, not He's as taking a few coach, swings but, at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you would think it's sooner or later he's going to break through. But I, I got to tell you, I have a hard time. Uh, going with Brock Purdy over Patrick Mahomes. Throughout the AFC playoffs, I would, going well, in Buffalo with what Kansas City has done to them, Josh Allen is playing pretty good. If he doesn't turn it over, he loves this matchup. Buffalo defense, pretty good. I think Buffalo weeks by. Okay, it didn't happen. I see it, but... I mean, Baltimore, as good as their defense is, and Lamar Jackson, this is his chance to break through. It just sets up for him perfectly. And then as I was watching the first half of the AFC Championship game, I just went, why? When am I going to learn not to bet against Patrick Mahomes? And, you know, I found myself doing that too later in Tom Brady's tenure, which was while I professed an ultimate respect for what he did is, is I don't believe I'm alone on that, but I kept going. Yeah, but, but the overall team, you have this, you have that. And, and I think all of that is true, but sometimes there are just transcendent quarterbacks. And from what we have seen of Patrick Mahomes to this stage of his career, he is a transcendent quarterback. Yeah, he is. And, uh, and is I there think a word bigger than transcendent. Let's go right ahead and cut right into me. I mean, that's, that's of fine. No, no problem. Not in my vocabulary, no. Mahomes, I mean, advocate since day one. Is there a word bigger than transcendent to describe him? I mean, is he the quarterback of, a, of, of more than a generation? I don't know if he's the, of more than a generation because, you know, Tom Brady was in the last one. So, uh, you know, I, I think 
from a talent standpoint, you could say that. You know, what he reminds me a lot of uh, is is John Elway. You know, John Elway was always the guy that was the, the best athlete that had ever been a quarterback, everybody would say, and, and unless you want to count Sammy Ball, who played, you know, 12 different positions. Uh, he, he reminds me of that a little bit. The difference is, is that John Elway didn't win until the end of his career, you know, uh, and, and and that was after the Broncos finally got a running game. I, I don't know what it is that Patrick Mahomes needs. You know, he, he's got a great tight end. There's no question about that. And their defense is pretty good. Um, but, you know, he just got so-so receivers this year, and that's why everybody felt like the Chiefs were going to get knocked off. And they just keep winning. No, no, that's no, nothing against Rashi Rice from SMU. He's done a very nice job. For, no, for he's come Chiefs. on late. He's, yes. you know, if he hasn't, the, the SMU brought up in Richland Hills, if, if he hadn't responded the way he did in the second half of this season, uh, I think it would have been very difficult uh, for, for Patrick Mahomes. But he's, he's provided that consistent compliment. And when you have two options, uh, that, that's all Mahomes needs. And he can spread it around and, and, and do what he needs to do, I think. Yeah, he's emerged as as the guy who I think is going to be a star, the star receiver in that offense. Um, they did need that, and I, I do think that as the second half of the season progressed, Rushy Rice really, really stepped forward. But I, I think what you just said, Kevin, really hits it on the head. Look, he does have a great tight end, and I, you know, I'm a big advocate of of, of teams that have separator tight ends, but. I, I think that the one thing you can point to consistency in six consecutive AFC championship games is that Patrick Mahomes has been the guiding force. And I think he creates better than any quarterback in the league. You know, there are there are lots of guys who can create some big plays, but they make a whole lot of mistakes. Patrick doesn't seem to make many mistakes, um, but he does do an awful lot of creation. And uh, there is an, an – he embodies the essence of competition. Yeah, he's, he's, Again, he doesn't yeah. play well in the, these games either, and they still win. I just feel like that, you know, I think we talked about that before. He just instills confidence in his teammates. You know, uh, they they believe in him, and they and uh, and they should believe in him. And so uh, it, it does make a difference when a team plays like that. I think that the opposing teams at times feel like, wow, what, did, what is it we got to do to stop this guy? You know, uh, even with Brady – the feeling always was if you could just get a little pressure on him, it was really it was really hard because he got the ball out so fast. But if you could just get a little pressure on him, then, then maybe you could make something happen here. Uh, you know that's not true with Mahomes. If you get pressure on him, he just squirts out of the pocket and there he goes and and he makes a play. So yeah, I, I'm going to go with the Chiefs in this one. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say Chiefs 31 uh, to 27 over the 49ers. Anybody else got a score? David, you want to go? I take back everything I said earlier. I'll go San Francisco 28 to 27. (laughs) And I'll be wrong again. David, how could you do that? (laughs) I'll be wrong again. Why not? I should be consistent. How could you possibly give that whole reasoning and then pick San Francisco? I've I've got to be who I am. I've I've got to play this out. I've got a. Are you? I just want to know. Got, you're got, in I, Vegas. Are you going to back that up with money? Are you going to back it up with money at a sports book somewhere? I back nothing up with money. I I, just, I would just continue to put my hand in the flame and not pull it out. How's that? <laughs> oh man, I'm going with Kansas. I'm I'm going to go Kansas City. And again, I you know there's there's some personal bias because on on the fan the fan level of me, just I like watching Patrick Mahomes so much. 
Um, he's probably been the favorite NFL player I've, I've watched over the last decade. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm picking them based on what he does in big games. I'm going to say it's a, it's a touchdown, a touchdown spread. 31-24, 34-27, somewhere in there. I think there will be some points scored. It, very quickly to go against everything I said again, you know, the, the thing about <laughs> now you're picking the Cowboys to win. What? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the thing about Tom Brady too, and this touches on what, what Kevin uh, you were bringing up was, you know, the also in the postseason. but I remember when the Cowboys would play uh, new England and it'll be close. And like Tony Romo had a great drive in new England. They went, went ahead and everybody, everybody I was sitting next to in the press box, went, he left him too much time. Brady's going to win this. And Brady came back and won it. And you get that same sense with Mahomes. So that's why it won't happen Sunday, because like San Francisco will be up by two scores. I All thought right, maybe so- you're you were just doing that. But you do, you're, you're doing your Tim Callis show that you know that, that Tim always likes to be a contrarian on picks. He never Excuse likes. Excuse me, with sir. Him. So do not compare very me. Quickly before Tim we Callis get into talk. defensive coordinator talk, and David has to paddle his way down the Las Vegas Strip. There is one question from the home office, and that is: Have you guys given any thought to the idea of as talented as the Cowboys were this year? What do these teams have that the Cowboys lack? Is it is it as simple as the quarterback in, in Kansas City's case? Is are the 49ers a better a better comp? And, and and what do the Cowboys lack that these two teams have? They just haven't done it. I know that sounds simplistic, but from a talent perspective, they continually put themselves in that position. Um, you know, we can talk about what they don't have. There's one team in the NFL that has a better regular season record over the last three seasons than Dallas. It's Kansas City. That is the only one. Uh, all three of these teams, you look at every regular season metrics, there's not much separation at all. The separation is Kansas City and San Francisco's best players rise to the occasion in the postseason. The Cowboys' best players have not risen to the occasion in the postseason, and oftentimes have played one of their worst games in the postseason. Yeah, there's no question about that. Uh, you know, we, we, we're just talking about the wide receivers with the with the Chiefs, right? And and how that was going to be a big problem for the Chiefs this year, and, and it was for part of the year until Rice really came on late. Uh, what do we What do we always say about the Cowboys? Oh well, gosh, he's, you got C.D. Lamb, but he, he really needs a, a, another receiver to really back that up. And it's like, well. I mean, Brandon Cooks caught eight touchdown passes. Uh, that's that's Ferguson pretty good. was pretty good. Ferguson yeah, had Jake a pretty good Ferguson year. Was pretty good. Yeah, you know, and so uh, it, it, you're always looking for something else to kind of make them better and balance them out and make it more Dak friendly. Uh, yeah, there's always something. You know, the the defense fell apart uh, against the Packers. That hadn't really happened all year, even though they had struggled against the defense. It is just always one thing after another, and, and I brought up that point about uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes and the belief that the team has in him because I, I do believe that on this team there might be questions about what happens when we get in these games. Uh, I, I wonder until this team actually does it and, and gets to a, an NFC championship game, wins a couple of games in the playoffs, I, I think that there is some there, there must be some kind of doubt there. I, I have no other way to explain the way they played against the Packers. 
yep. other than the fact that they just got into it and things started to unravel and they just went, here we go again. It's a tight team that's feeling the weight of their uh, inability to perform in the postseason as it piles up from one year to the next. That, yeah. To me, that's the only way you can explain it. it really is. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Well, let's uh, and, and that kind of segues nicely, really, into the whole talk about uh, what's going to happen here at defensive coordinator. Uh, as we know, Dan Quinn uh, became the head coach of the uh, Washington Commanders. He took Joe Witt Jr. with him. Uh, Joe was a candidate to be uh, the coordinator here. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess I should ask you first of all, David. Do you feel like that Joe thought that? He might not be getting the job with the Cowboys, and that's why he went with Dan Quinn. Or do you think that uh, he just preferred that position and working under Quinn? Oh, I think he definitely felt he wasn't getting the job, which is why he went. Um, You know, all all indications were that this was – they were going to fill this internally, and he was the leading candidate. He was going to be the guy. And then suddenly Dan Quinn leaves which as we talked about to come as a surprise to no one because we've been talking about it uh, heading into that regular season finale against Washington uh, about how the climate uh, was set for Dan Quinn to leave at the end of this season more than it had been in his previous two. Uh, the Cowboys officials knew what was coming. Uh, this didn't catch them off guard. And, and then you got to that point and they go, okay, well now it's, you know, it's going to be an internal and an external search. We're going to open this thing up and, and we don't have to be in a great rush. You know, we're, we're at toward the end of the process here. Let's take our time, talk to some people. Uh, if you're Joe Witt Jr., that's a very clear signal. If you have something else, go. Because if he was the guy, he would have been elevated uh, within 24 hours after Dan Quinn left. Uh, if you remember, if you go back when uh, Mike McCarthy uh, parted ways with Mike Nolan, uh, Joe Witt Jr. was the first uh, candidate they interviewed for defensive coordinator. He actually has a longer history with Mike McCarthy than he does with Dan Quinn. Um, but then within 72 hours, Dan Quinn was also interviewed and hired. Uh, they moved within 72 hours. The Cowboys had as much advance notice on this as they did Mike Nolan's departure. And uh, here we are going into it, you know, 72 hours later. And uh, they're probably just now starting to talk to their uh, prime candidates. So, David, do you feel like that, uh, you know, and, and I had not even really realized until I went out there and, and I was asking some of the guys uh, who they thought would be the successor. And, and to a man, everybody I talked to in media uh, said, oh, it'll be a, a, a guy who's been a head coach. He, he Jerry always does that. Mike McCarthy always does that. I, I haven't gone back to check that to make sure that's actually true. Do you feel like it's simply a case of since since Mike McCarthy is in charge of the offense that they want somebody with real presence to be in charge of the defense and they feel like that needs to be somebody who's been a head coach before? I believe they feel that's a very strong rationale. Uh, the last defensive coordinator who had no head coaching experience was the uh, Monty Kiffin, that ill-fated one year uh, that we saw back in 2013. Uh, Jerry has always preferred that. Um, I think with, with Mike McCarthy being the play caller now and not having the time to spend with the defense over the course of the week that he did before he assumed the play calling duties this past year, I think that, that, uh, that feeds itself even more into Jerry Jones inherent, 
um, bias toward a defensive coordinator who had been a head coach before. And uh, that's where we landed. And I think that's why I, I think uh, while there was sentiment to look at it and do it a different way, I think in the end, that's what undid Joe Witt Jr. here. And in Jerry's mind, it's, well, uh, yeah, we like Joe Witt Jr. Um, I can see I can see him doing this job, but can you tell me he's better than Mike Zimmer, who has been a head coach of Minnesota for for eight years, a longtime defensive coordinator in this league, and, and uh, led his team to the NFC Championship game? Can you tell me he's better than Aron Rivera, who's been in this league uh, just as long, also has skins on the wall, and has led a team uh, lost, but got a team to a Super Bowl. Uh, can you? What can you show me to tell me that this guy is better than those two candidates? And my belief, I, I well, last I heard, I didn't have a chance since I've been out here, but it's the last I heard. Uh, I believe uh, Ron Rivera and Mike Zimmer will both uh, discuss the position with the Cowboys officials today. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with either one of those two guys ended up being the defensive coordinator. I didn't have a problem with Joe Witt Jr. doing it. I mean, he he had uh, done it when uh, I Quinn, uh, Dan Quinn was unavailable, and and uh, you know he seemed like a, a, the kind of guy you'd want to elevate uh, for that position. Um, I, I have to say, the one thing that gives me pause about Ron Rivera is that. Uh, they gave him an awful lot of talent on that defense, a lot of premium draft picks, and boy, those guys did not pan out. Uh, and they and they got rid of a couple of them, and uh, th- that bothers me a little bit. The Cowboys have some talent as well. Uh, was he not maximizing that? Talent? I don't know if that was his fault. I don't know if that's the GM's fault. But I know that right he, that here in this market, the GM doesn't get blamed for that. Only the, only the coordinator does. So uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that of the two, I think I might rather have Mike Zimmer, uh, who uh, get, maybe if nothing else, it's just a known quantity, right? Uh, he's he's been here. He's worked with Jerry. Uh, he was a good defensive coordinator here. He got a lot out of out of the players here. I thought, and and frankly, I, I kind of like the idea of his tough love approach. Yeah, he'll be a, he'll be the temperamental counterpoint to Mike McCarthy, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, I think their approach is the same. Mike certainly goes about it differently; is much more confrontational than Mike McCarthy uh, will get in the player's face. But he builds relationships with them, and and players respond to him and and, and like the way. I mean, he's more the classic old school approach to coaching. Uh, I, I think it's, either way still works. You just have to be good at what you do, and you have to be genuine, and you have to forge relationships. And uh, Mike Zimmer does that. Like I say, still has strong ties to the Jones family from his time here. Uh, And him and Mike McCarthy share a strong mutual respect. Uh, They went against each other in the NFC North for a long time. And uh, the the other thing about Mike Zimmer, if he gets the job, and and I believe do believe he's the most intriguing candidate. he, he'll be 67 years old, and you do have a head coach in Mike McCarthy in the final year of his contract. Mike Zimmer has always been a stand-up guy and a good soldier, and he is not looking to climb the corporate ladder at 67. He is looking to come back, uh, 
coach a position he loves, which is defensive coordinator, where it's more about the coaching than all the other stuff that goes with being a head coach. And uh, he he would be here only to support and not as a potential threat or to undercut Mike McCarthy, which is something Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys have to take into consideration because of his contractual status. Yeah, certainly Mike McCarthy needs to. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know that he would be a guy that you would want to bring. Uh, you would want to be your head coach anyway. Uh, no. At this point in his career, Zimmer had some success there in Minnesota, and, and they did some good stuff. But uh, th- that looks like a thing where you, you're just uh, just retreads, as we used to call them. You know, uh, if you're if that's what you're going to end up, if Mike McCarthy doesn't work out. Uh, yeah, I, I'm down with Zimmer being the, the, the next defense coordinator if that's what happens. All right, I guess David needs to get out of here. He's got to go uh, uh, see uh, people about this uh, football game they're going to play on Sunday uh, out there in Las Vegas. I just It's still hard for me to get used to the idea of playing Super, uh, Super Bowl in Las Vegas. I guess that's, that's okay. Uh, I guess it's okay with all that stuff out there, right, David? Uh, the players don't mind, but yeah, I mean, the idea that, 15 years ago, we would have been having this conversation uh, shows you how quickly the political climate has changed when it comes to sports gambling and betting, which is maybe something you two can talk about uh, the Mavericks and what will happen with the uh, Adelman family there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about all that. All right, David. Thanks, man. We'll see you next week. Will do. Uh, thanks, guys. Have yeah. a happy football, David. Yeah. Happy, happy football. Thank you. Yeah. All right, uh, Evan, let me ask you this. Can, is is spring training really about to start? You're going to Arizona on Monday. Is that right? That's right, Kevin. Um, spring training is here, and the Rangers are about to move from celebrating that world title to trying to defend it. Wow. You know, it's an interesting concept to me, the whole uh, defending the world title thing. In your mind, how long does that last? Is that last right up to the first game of the season, or do you get to be the world champs all year long, all the way up until they play another World Series? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know what the expiration date on the, on the idea of celebrating and satisfaction from the World Series is. I, I would imagine at some point in the first in the first half, if things aren't going particularly well, uh, this fan base and this team transitions from, yeah, what a great year it was to uh, we've got some things to fix. But I do think right now for the fan base, I, I, you know, I related this last last week on the, on the podcast. Um, there is a segment of fans on social media that are very anxious to see if the Rangers will do anything else free agency wise. And I don't think they will. Um, but there is also a very large segment of fans that you run into in person who are just very happy and very satisfied and willing to accept and savor that championships are hard to win and the Rangers have won one. So I, I, I also think the expiration dates kind of, um, they're different for different people, right? I, I think obviously for Chris Young and, and company, the window of celebrating uh, is very short because you do have to start to get ready for an, for another year. I think for fans, they can, you know, the bottom line is once you've won the World Series, short save for the for the parade, 
you don't really get a chance to see that team back again until they they come for opening day. So I think there will be a significant part of April and should be. You know, the Rangers are going to get their rings in April and there's they're going to raise a, a championship banner in April and uh, I, there will be certainly plenty of promotions that go along with having won the World Series. So I do think that the, for fans, they should celebrate that into 2024. Yeah, and uh, for sure they should, uh, and and that's that should still be really fun. I would imagine that that will be the case, uh, barring any you know uh, terrible developments in spring training. Uh, and even at that, you know, what, what could I mean? Uh, outside people getting hurt, you know, you're you're still zero and zero going into the season. So um, with a really it, good lineup, with a with a really good lineup going into the season. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, and you would expect, you know, the things like I was looking at uh, ESPN's uh, rankings of their top uh, 100 prospects, and uh, the Rangers had a four and a six and a 44, and Sebastian Walcott, who was 44, uh, Kylie McDaniel said by the summer he might be a top 10, and 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 what about that? What if the Rangers had three top 10 prospects in baseball, and and not guys that are way down the road either? You're talking about one of them is going to is positively going to break camp with the Rangers uh, and uh, Evan Carter. Uh, Wyatt Langford could possibly uh, break camp. Now, now Walcott's not; he's he's still like in high school. Uh, but uh, but it's but the thought of that combined with the fact that they've just won a World Series, it just feels like we've walked into an alternate universe, doesn't it? Well, it does until you start to look at the pitching staff, and yeah, there remain right. there remain questions there. And uh, listen, I I have to reiterate that I don't think it's I'd change the adjective or the adverb on how you describe Wyatt Langford's um, chances of making the big league roster. I, I would go from possibly to probably. I think he goes to camp. He's going to have to – he's still going to have to win a job, but I think the Rangers believe he's the best player that they'll have uh, fighting for that DH spot. I think the bigger question the Rangers are going to have to figure out is if he's going to get a preponderance of his at-bats, and I've got a story that's going online shortly after this we finish recording this podcast – would the weight that goes along with being a DH for a young player, you know, you don't have an ability to redeem yourself defensively. You've got an entire game to sit there and kind of obsess over, over unsuccessful at bats. Could any of that lead him down into a rabbit hole that wouldn't be productive for him or his development? And I think that's something the Rangers are going to have to consider during spring training. I just don't know that they're going to get an answer for that during spring training. Yeah, well, let me, let me let me butt in real quick and say that about that because I was thinking about that exact same thing yesterday, and uh, because in in this story that uh, that Kylie McDaniel wrote, he talked about uh, well he could play he could possibly play center field, probably play left field, and he would uh, it would be him and Evan Carter and uh, and of course Adolis Garcia, uh, and, and that of course left out Leoli Tavares didn't even mention him. I think at this point. To me, when you're going into the season, barring whatever happens in spring training, which I don't think that affects things nearly as much as fans think it does, especially with a team that just won a World Series, you know, you really got to do something to shake that up, and rightfully so, uh, as you as you noted, it's a great lineup. Um, but 
you you have to plan on the fact that Leo Tavares is going to be the center fielder, unless you're going to trade him. Uh, well, Leo Tavares and, and, is the center fielder at this point. And I hold on, hold on, hold on, one more thing, one more okay. thing about uh, Wyatt Langford is what you said. I got a real problem with him being the primary DH at this point, just because of what you said. One of the things that Wyatt Langford needs to do is play in the outfield. I mean, he has potential to be a, a from from all everything I've read about him, he has potential to be a, a really good outfielder, maybe even a center fielder. Now, if you've got Evan Carter there, that doesn't make any sense to do that. If you got Leone DeBaris, it doesn't really make any sense to do it. Um, but that means he needs to be playing. That that you know, I think history shows that a guy that young being forced to be a DH. Uh, a preponderance of the time it's just not good for his development and and the last thing you want to do is screw up a talent like this right well and that I, both of these issues are things i raise in this story on the on, on a storyline um we're doing our series of storylines for strength training and in, in the in, in the storyline regarding Wyatt langford I, I i raise all of this um and i do bring up the point that in the last 10 years, there have been two rookies who have had more than 300 at-bats as a DH. Um, one is Shohei Otani, who there are reasons why. Uh, the other is Jordan Alvarez, who is a very bad man with the bat, uh, but I don't think that anybody ever considers Jordan a great outfielder. Uh, the Rangers believe Evan, believe White Langford is athletic, and he's he's certainly a capable outfielder. At the same time, if your outfield group is Evan Carter, Leody Tavares, Adolis Garcia, Travis Jankowski, and Wyatt Langford, Wyatt is the fifth best outfielder in that group every day. There are ways to get him on the field. I think the Rangers will try and get Adolis off the field as 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 a, as a DH once a week. I think there are days when you're going to want to sit Leody against the left-handed starter, uh, and there are going to be other days when you want to sit Evan Carter against a certain left-handed starter, and obviously not the same guys. Um, and and there, there are opportunities. But at a maximum, though, that probably gives opportunity for Wyatt Langford in that environment to play – three outfield games a week. And so he's going to get at least half his at-bats as, as, as a DH. The other possibility is this, Kevin. They go to camp with other candidates to be DH. Justin Foscue has an 868 OPS as a minor leaguer and is a really talented hitter who does profile perhaps best as a hitter and not a fielder. Blaine Krim is a non-roster guy, but he's put together an 888 OPS in the minor leagues as a very disciplined guy, just as a kind of shortish right-handed hitting first baseman. There's not a whole lot of opportunity for him to advance unless it is as a hitter. And they signed Jared Walsh, who hit 29 home runs and drove in 98 runs with 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 the Angels two years ago. Um, so there are other candidates, and and I bring this up in this in this vein. Suppose they go to camp, and suppose not just Langford performs, but these other guys perform. Do the Rangers at the end of camp sit here and say, "Well, maybe we do try and deal from a position of strength, and maybe we could peel Leody Tavares off to address." a really significant need, which is another starter. I think that's a really interesting subplot that could could develop during this spring training. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, you know, I, I think that, and, and I'm just guessing on this, I have not yet talked to Chris Young about it. I'm, I'm guessing that uh, 
what he feels like is a little bit like he did uh, last year, which is, well, we're just going to see how it goes. We're going to see how it goes here in the first half. And as it gets down to the trade deadline, if we need uh, more help, we'll go get it. Uh, and and that would that would kind of make more sense uh, from a from a trade standpoint, right? If you're going to deal Leone Tavares by you know June and July, well then you know exactly what you've got with Evan Carter and with Wyatt Langford and Justin Foscue and and all these people. And I, I wouldn't rule out as you noted, Jared Walsh. That's an intriguing thing because he's a veteran bat, a guy who's done it before, hasn't done it lately, but you never can tell in the right kind of situation with the right hitters around him in the lineup that might change things for him. So uh, I, I do think it's very intriguing. And um, uh, of all those outfield prospects and all the guys they have ready to play the outfield, Leody's probably my least favorite of that bunch just from a consistency standpoint. You know, he has his moments when he plays very well, and then he and then he goes uh, through a real funk. Uh, Adolis – we know that can kind of do the same thing, except his highs are a lot higher than uh, Leoti's highs are. So that's why we're, you know, you, you'd be willing to put up with that. I think in a lot of ways, Leoti had a, a breakthrough year last year. I think that the one thing that continues to show up is he, he really, as a switch hitter, he really does struggle from the left-hand side against right-handed pitching. Uh, I think he was a 639 OPS against right-handers last year, and he's a 638 OPS for his career. So it's been pretty consistent, and he's now 25 uh, with really three full seasons in the big leagues. It's it, He's going to have to prove that he can do that against against right-handed hitters, uh, against um, right-handed pitchers. If he does, look, this, team, this, this club has the ability to have – an elite defensive outfield, an elite athletic outfield, and a really, a, a, a really good all-around outfield um, in, in every in every measurable way. I think that they go to spring with the lineup with a bunch of good problems. I think in on the pitching side and on the um, bullpen side, there are there are the potential for more troubling problems, right? There is no depth in the starting rotation right now. Uh, and they don't have, they don't have any depth really on the horizon for the first half. There are going to be opportunities for Jack Leiter and Owen and Zach Kent and Cole Wynn in spring training to make some kind of impression. But right now, none of those guys has anything that, that, to kind of gravitate towards and say, okay, this is a definitive option. If one of these guys go, if one of our starters goes down um, in the bullpen, you know, you've got, and I wrote this yesterday, you've got four guys who have some closing experience in Leclerc spores, Robertson and uh, Kirby Yates. Uh, but after them, uh, I don't know who the more the, the multiple inning options are. You know, Brock Burke was that guy the last two years, but his performance really tailed off in the second half, and I wonder if that role kind of wore on him a little bit. Uh, and there's not a lot of other proven relievers. So um, they've got good problems on the offensive side. I think they've got uh, other issues that they're going to have to work through on the pitching side, but that's – that's par for the course with this franchise, right? Yeah, no question about that. Well, there's certainly a lot of things we need to talk about with the Rangers. And, uh, uh, you know, one of them, you know, I wanted to get to eventually uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. It's just what we talked about earlier about how the fans are going to feel about it. You know, last year, we haven't talked about this a whole lot. 
they started out on an unbelievable pace. Uh, and that, and that gave them some grace at the end of the season, right? When things started to fall apart, they had built up such a big lead and so much momentum that that helped them. I don't think you, you could reasonably expect them to start this season and do the same thing again, uh, especially with the questions that they have in the rotation at this point. Um, that, that just doesn't seem uh, something realistic to ask. But we're going to talk about that all later. We need to move on and talk about some other things as well. Um, uh, you know, they had a little World Cup uh, draw the other day, and uh, they didn't get to it. Evan, I did not actually watch the World Cup production. I know that you, you were, were fortunate. You, it was a complete disaster. <laughs> it what was, was so, so bad about it. It was so awkward, um, you know, because they're doing it worldwide, and Andres Con. Con- Andres Cantor is on, and he's speaking partly in Spanish for for the for the worldwide audience, and in English. Kevin Hart was for some reason part of the of the show as one of the co-hosts, and it's clear he had no chemistry with Cantor or Jenny Taft and the president of FIFA, whose name of obviously escapes me. Um, was there, and he's not exactly what you would call. Um, host material Uh, there were there were things being thrown all over the place and then when they announced that team usa or the the america the americans would play their first world cup game uh at sophie sofi stadium in los angeles they threw it out there and who was the guest at that point in time but kim kardashian and her son um and and it it just it was just a very big mishmash of of things uh, that uh, didn't all add up. And then of course we were all waiting to see exactly where um, the city of Dallas would end up with its bid. Uh, what, one thing I did find interesting, Kevin, is that Dallas, it was, they kept getting, it kept getting labeled as Dallas, right? Um, yeah. Not Arlington, not Arlington, not DFW, but the, the New York bid was cl- clarified as the new New York New Jersey bid. Um, the San Francisco bid was the San Francisco Bay Area uh, host. So I, I don't know why we're not we're not referring to this as Arlington or Dallas Fort Worth, but nevertheless, uh, when it was all said and done, they did kind of announce that the, 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 this location will host nine games the most in the world cup but it would not host the final as had previously been reported out of london and i don't know if that was i know jerry jones and company out at the out at uh what will be known as dallas stadium during the world cup uh i know they tried to spin it forward but i also have to think that not getting the final after it appeared that that was what was in hand has to be something of a disappointment well, you know, listen, I tell you, the guy who's not disappointed is Jerry Jones because he got nine matches, right? Uh, and uh, that's more than anybody else. So that's, the, as Dan Hunt pointed out, that's like nine Super Bowls being played out there. And, uh, and you know, that's what Jerry's thinking. The, the dollar signs are just lighting up for Jerry, nine of these things, plus all the parking that goes with that, uh, which is another issue. I had a, I had one reader after I wrote about the, the uh the area and the possibilities of getting the world cup uh, who uh, castigated me for not bringing out the fact that there's no mass transit, uh, going out there and, and, uh, 
uh, look at the and Jerry just gonna make a bunch of money off the of parking and and look, there's no question people are making money here. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I got I still got to tell you, I don't know how you pick uh, MetLife Stadium over Jerry World. I, I'm not that's not that's not local hokum on my part. I just feel like this is a, a much nicer stadium. It's it's you know it's not exactly Paris either out there in Arlington. But the Meadowlands is out. That's where that's where they take their bodies to dump them out there. You know that is it is not a great thing. That's what I I asked in my newsletter the other day. I mean, who was counting the votes? Tony Soprano on this. Uh, I, you, we we know that there are weird things that go on with FIFA. Uh, there are weird things that go on when when they decide where a uh, Olympics is going to be played. And I just think that this was a little bit hokey to me. This was the greatest um, sports journalism um, misre- misreporting mistake since Shohei Otani was on that flight going to Toronto. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think when you and I had lunch yesterday, I might have brought up, I, I don't know if, uh, if uh, this report maybe enticed the New York, New Jersey bid group to, I don't know, sweeten their pot or anything. I will just say this. I'm not surprised. I, I, I think that the venues, you can you can raise whatever issues you want about the Meadowlands. I think that the idea of, of trek, trekking in grass and putting it down at Jerry World, um, not to mention that for 90 minutes probably of every, well, not 90 minutes, but for most of every game, at least one team is going to be staring into absolute blindness at Jerry World. So Maybe you, you can use the curtains for that. You can raise questions about all of that. I just felt like I was having a hard time believing that the final would be in, in, in the USA and it wouldn't be in New York or L.A. Um, and so it did not surprise me that that was the choice. I think the facility here and the infrastructure here for the games may be better. I think the uh, ability to house and transport people in New York is superior to Dallas, even with the games in New in, in New Jersey. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, the, the thing is that that, uh, that you uh, either either way you're, you're still having nine games here, so that's that's the thing to me. Whatever you're saying, and a for semifinal, the reason, and a semifinal, and so. a semifinal. Whatever you're saying for the reason you're not going to have it in Arlington, which they didn't do that, they didn't say anything, right? Uh, but whatever reason you would have for not having the final here, well, then you're having nine games here, including the semifinal. So, so you 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 really can't have that. That's not the way it goes. Uh, in the end, uh, it would feel it feels like to me whatever it is, you just feel like this is the better place to have it. Uh, not with everything else involved. Well, I think Tim. I think in Tim Callishaw's column on Monday, he he referenced that there were two prizes here. One was to host the final, the ultimate game, and the second was to host the most games. And it was clear before this ever was announced that whoever hosted the most games would not host the final. So there were two prizes. That's the one that Dallas got. Um, I just have an issue with people bringing up the public transportation issue as related to the World Cup, that's nine games. There are 90 games year in and year out at stadiums in Arlington with no public transportation. It's not – the the World Cup isn't 
why public transportation should be an issue. It should be an issue regardless, right? We don't uh, need the no public question. transportation because of the World Cup. We need public transportation to get people to and from those stadiums. I think it I, – I just don't think that people go to Rangers games and they can get as into the game, and yeah, I'm talking about alcohol, um, safely as they can when they are going to stadiums in New York and Philadelphia uh, and other locations where in Boston where public transportation um, is easily available so that people know they're not going to have to drive home impaired. Yeah, I think it's a lot of things. Look, you know, I've been to games. I've been to games in Chicago and New York, uh, basically Chicago and New York, uh, where there's something about, to me, going to the game in public transportation like that. I don't take it, generally speaking. No, I'm in my car all the time. That's like 99% of the people that live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But but when you're – Part of the the excitement to me of of those games in, in in Chicago and in New York that I've been to in public transportation is just just feels kind of cool. It just it, it just feels like you're part of this whole thing, especially a big event like a a, a football game, which is a once a week uh, to to go out to those things and and to, and to get there that way. Well, it so, just creates uh, that whole kind of like like everybody's going together, right? Everybody's yeah. going together, and it it it. it it enhances that communal feel of attending the game. Um, it's just like in you know in England, people basically take public transportation uh, to Premier League to Premier games, Premier League games. You see them getting off of, of trains and buses, singing their team song as they're all walking into the to the stadium together. And I think that you you build some of that in in cities where you do have that ability to transport fans in mass to games. Um, I know Arlington yeah. doesn't feel like it has a public transportation problem, but I also feel like that's one place where Arlington is is woefully out of touch. Yeah, you know, I, people uh, write me about this issue and they say, "Well, that this this is what Jerry Jerry doesn't want it because he wants to charge a hundred dollars ahead for parking." Sure, uh, and those and those are real issues. I, I mean, I'm not saying that that's uh, that Jerry's not behind all of that too, uh, but. Uh, it is more an issue. It is more of an Arlington issue than it is of a Jerry Jones issue. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that these are it is unfortunate because um, going forward, w- let's let's look at this issue for just a second. Going forward, what this area wants and certainly what they want out there is that we want to be considered for international events like this uh, on, a, on a consistent basis, you know, national and international events. The lack of events, but, the Super Bowl, the Final Four. The, oh, the sure. Rangers are hosting an all-star game. This is the facilities out there are jewel event worthy. Yes, they, they are. And, 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 not, and they're getting them. And so I think that some people would say, well, see, then that's the argument. The, it's a poor argument against mass transit because you're already getting those things, but any great city in any of these kind of conversations, they have mass transit. Dallas is, is the only city I know of that's, that's in these conversations, Dallas-Fort Worth is the only area that's in these conversations consistently that doesn't have mass transit. Uh, and and, and it's, at some point, you have to say, uh, you know what, if we want to be a player, we need to do this. We need to do this for our people anyway. I mean, it just has to happen. Uh, and, 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 and it's just so built for that. It's a, the, the idea that you've got these these three cities strung together on a line here and they're not connected 
by because you know there is the Trinity rail. I, I get that. There there are there are some things that are that are dumb, but not enough. You know, and, and, it, and it just wouldn't be that big a deal to do it. You know, it's an expense, obviously, but someone has to get behind this and really push it. Completely agreed. Um, it, it is. If you're going to have those stadiums in that complex in Arlington and you only have really, I mean, we can talk about, you can, you can throw the Hilton in there or the Sheraton, whatever it is now, and the two Lowe's hotels, but that's not enough hotel rooms in Arlington, really, you know, of a, of a top level for, for jewel events. And so you've got to transport people from Dallas and Fort Worth. And we're not just talking about locals. We're talking about people who come in from out of town. For the Cowboys games, it's not that big a deal because people do go out there. They do tailgate. You do have that communal that communal feel with, with tailgating. But I think if you want these international and, and national jewel events where you are going to bring in lots of people from out of town, you've got to figure out a better way to get people from the hubs of hotel rooms to the facilities in Arlington. Yeah, no question about it. All right, uh, let's veer over now uh, and talk a little bit about the Mavericks. The trade deadline is They have up. public Close transportation. To- the Mavericks do? The Mavericks do. They do? What, what is it called? I believe it's called DART. They the, the runs oh, right by right the arena. There. I, thought you, I thought you meant that the Mavericks are sponsoring their own uh, uh, mass transit. Yeah, they do. It's right there. It works out pretty great for them, doesn't it? Uh, it spills you out right there. That would be a great thing to know about – how many of those fans, how many Mavericks fans are getting to the game by dark? When I, when I go to a Mavericks game, you can see them walking up. Uh, when I go to the media entrance, uh, you can see them uh, coming over. Uh, it, it appears to coming over from. The, well, it's almost uh, punitive to go to a Mavericks game by car and park in the garage because it takes you forever to get out of the garage. Yeah, that, that, that's I don't know why. By the time I get out, it's, you know. It's it's midnight, but well, that's because uh, you bust deadlines. Well, that's true. That's that's me, old Buster here. <laughs> uh, the Mavericks have a trade deadline coming up here on Thursday. Uh, I gotta tell you, Evan, I've always loved team building. I've always loved uh, what does the team need to do next? It to it's almost a flaw to uh, you know like a lot of people almost like it better than the games themselves. Just just like it, uh, it's hard to like. The NBA trade trade deadline now. That's, I mean, things do happen, but it, it's just such calculus to get there now because now you had the first apron and the second apron and when and where are you going to fall and uh, and you know teams have, are, are trading their draft picks and now because of the salaries are so high, uh, it makes it so difficult to make these deals and to make them work. It's just uh, it's just. It's just not as much fun as it should be. Uh, and clearly the Mavericks need to uh, make some kind of deal. As our old pal uh, Brad Townsend has been pointing out uh, lately, uh, this team has some serious flaws in it. They, they obviously have a superstar. They have a quasi-superstar in Kai Irving. Uh, and then they've got uh, a bunch of guys. Uh, Grant Williams, whom they acquired from the Celtics, has really not panned out uh, for him this year. Josh Green, uh, who was a first-round draft pick a couple of years ago, uh, he had a really nice game last night, and Maxi Kleba had a nice game last night. And when you see those guys play that way, uh, then, you know, they, they won. They, of course, they beat an undermanned uh, Philadelphia team without Joel Embiid, and they will be without him the rest of the season. Um, so they should have won that game. They did a nice job of uh, defending Tyrese Maxey. Uh, from Garland, uh, 
and and that worked really well. They just can't seem to get that. And I'm and I'm, I'm watching after the game, uh, the Mavs post game show uh, with our pal Dana Larson on it, and and they're talking about the fact that uh, well, let's see, these games are good because now. Uh, if Maxi Kleber continues to play that way, if Josh Green continues to play that way, that's going to give Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving confidence in them. Uh, you know, to to give them the ball in certain conditions, and when when uh, you know Luka's getting double teamed, and all I can think is is that these guys aren't rookies. These guys have been around for several years now. If if Luka and Kyrie Irving don't have confidence in them now. When are they going to have confidence in them? I, I just I struggle with this whole idea of you know because of the usage rate of, with Luca and he has the ball in his hands so much that guys are just standing around right uh, and and they don't know what to do and that was the great thing about Jalen Brunson was that well he knew how to play with with Luca uh, he made the most out of it and of course they screwed that all up and now uh, Jalen Brunson is an all star in New York and they had to make that trade for Kyrie Irving to make up for that. And that's kind of set them down a, a rabbit hole. But these there, these are issues for me. There are two things. One point and one question. The, the, the point is that again, and I, I will freely admit that where it comes to comfortability about my my expertise on any sport, I'm I'm more handicapped when it comes to the Mavericks than, than other clubs. But this has like Michael Gallup and Tony Pollard. Um, vibes for me that always hoping that somebody's suddenly going to develop into a star. Um, stars are stars and they make their presence known. Uh, and the Mavericks need another star. They need another reliable star. My question on, on this for you, Kevin, is, is another, is, is another player, even if they go out and acquire another star level player is that going to make a difference for them this year are they good enough are they good enough to win the west with another player well i, I don't think you know they, that used to be the argument right that you got to have a third star uh you don't hear that as much anymore um you know it, it's hard to put together a team with three stars just because of the the contracts you know involved it, it, it you know it's really prohibitive and and frankly it just hasn't worked in some places anymore, not like a, not like you would hope it, that it would. So the the problem for the Mavericks is, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I don't know. I, I feel like it's trying to hold up a tent, uh, a circus tent, all by yourself. You know, there there are the, you've got two stars and both of them play in basically the same position. Basically, they're both point guards. You know. Mm-hmm. And so that that has been a problem, you know. If if you look at things like you know that they haven't made work, like Kristaps Porzingis, it just didn't work, right? Nothing. The chemistry was bad; it never worked. Well, look, he goes to the Celtics. He's the third guy there in Boston, and he's playing great, you know. And of course, the one thing is he's playing; he's not hurt, and that was always an issue here. But it's always an issue with Kyrie Irving as well. He's always hurt. Uh, And when, as as Brad Townsend has pointed out, when there's only been, I think, 23 games this year that um, uh, Kyrie Irving and Luca have been on the court together, and they're just 13 and 10 in those games. So it's not like it's making a real difference when they have both of them. They both have their moments. There were not, uh, moments uh, in the game against Philadelphia where where Irving, you know, took that game over in the third quarter, and he looked really good. He's exactly what you wanted him to be. Um, but 
they clearly have to have these other guys play. They they need more help in the front court. They, you know, in, in that game essentially with Derek Lively out with a nasal uh, fracture, uh, is uh, you know they started Maxi Cleave at center. That won't work. That worked against Philadelphia because they didn't have Embiid. Right, he's out. Uh, but you can't run him out there. You know, he 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 can play a little bit of center, but he can't be your starting. It's like it's like having Dwight Powell out there. That's that's never been an answer either. Uh, this team just cannot find a freaking center. You know, they went out and traded for Christian Wood. That didn't work. Uh, they, they brought back J- JaVale McGee last year. That didn't work. They brought in Rashawn Holmes this year. That didn't work. Uh, you know, now some of these guys are, are retreads, uh, but still you'd think they would get something out of them, and, and nothing's working. I, it's at some point, I guess, that we have to ask, is there something you're asking these guys to do, to do that's unreasonable? Uh I don't think that's the case, uh, but it certainly has been working. So now there's been talk about them, you know, being in uh, the market for a guy like PJ Washington, who who was you know who plays a little center, but he's really kind of more of a uh, of a of a wing, you know. So maybe they could make a difference. Derek Lively made a real difference in this team when he's out there on the floor, and that's you know that that was a a gift to get him in the draft at ten. I I had no idea he would be this good. Uh, he's been really good for them, but they need more help than that. They need they need a little more size. They're undersized. And to your question about whether they should, if it's anything going to make a difference, when you've got Luka Doncic and you're trying to convince him to stay here, you got to you, you're all in. That that's just it. You you can't just say, well, we're not going to do anything to trade that line. We're not going to trade our our last first round pick in the last next five years. Uh, so we can, you know, make an ill-fated run. You just have to do it. Uh, and, and there's no other excuse for it. And that's the, that's the, the bad position that they're in right now is that, yeah, I, I think they could, I think there are things they could do, but you just keep looking back at things that should have happened. It's like, you know, Brad pointed out when they took, uh, you know, Josh Green, uh, if they, Tyrese Maxey went after that. Tyrese Maxey is averaging 26 points a game. Now, every people miss on players all the time in drafts. We know that. But it looks particularly bad when the guy played in your is from your backyard, right? Uh, he's from Garland. So, uh, and, and then, you know, letting Jalen Brunson go. That was that was terrible. You know, that, that whole thing. They bet on Jalen Brunson uh, instead of Dorian Finney-Smith Jr. And they gave him, they gave Dorian the contract. And then they, they let Jalen go because at that point he wanted to go play in New York and want to have his own show. And that's all been great. But they could have ha- kept him if they'd given him that contract. And think how much they would still have Dorian Finney-Smith uh, to play because he's, he's one of the names that's also come up in, of, of people they might trade for. Uh, you could still have Jalen Brunson playing next to uh, Luka. He proved he could do that and was very good in that role. Uh they would things would just be much better for this team, but team building has not been good for the Mavericks. You know, every year it's kind of gone back to the, the same cycle they were in with Rick Carlisle. They're they're starting over the different roster every year. Got the you know the, in the old one it was always Dirk at the center of it. This one is Luca at the center of it, and uh, the difference is is that I don't think that Luca's going to be playing here for twenty years like uh, Dirk Nowitzki did. Yeah, and I am a big believer on the team building element of it. Of of you need to have a nucleus, a nucleus that's together, whether it's the NBA or, or Major League Baseball. You know, my point of reference is always 
the Seattle Mariners, and I can't from year to year ever understand. And look, the Mariners have a lot of great young talent, but I can't for to save my life. I can't explain all the changes that they, they overhaul their roster with every year. And I think it, it prohibits that team from really realizing its full cal its full potential because guys are still getting to know each other deep into the season. I think that, that whether you're talking about five guys on the floor and a 12 man roster, or you're talking about uh, 12, 11 guys on the field and, and a 53 man roster. I think that matters. Well, it does matter, and that was one of the things that came up after the game, uh, too, last night in the, the Philadelphia game. Uh, their defense has just still struggled. You know, they made all these moves. They traded for these guys. They're longer. They're more athletic. You know, they brought in Derek Jones. You know, they're, you know, Dante Exum. The, you know, these were all moves made to try to improve their defense. Well, they're a little bit better, but I think they went from 28th in defense last year. I think right now they're 23rd. That's that's not enough of an improvement, you know, uh, and and part of the deal is is that when you're playing team defense, that's that's it, right? You got to be like a, a traffic cop out there. Maxi Kleber is the guy, you know, that's the heart of that. He's the one telling people what to do, and uh, it it just shouldn't be that hard. These guys have played together for several years. Most of them, you know, when they made that Western Conference final run a couple of years ago, their defense was really good. That's what that's what they did. That's they rode that, you know, and and it all just fell apart. It just it's just hard to believe that that they could have something like that, and they were that close, and then it all just went away. And and really, a, a lot of the same parts are are here. I have to say, the one person that's not is Jalen Brunson. Not that he's any great defensive player, he's not, but he did feel like he was the glue holding that team together. It, it did feel like that. He was the guy that everybody looked for or toward, maybe even more than Luca. That uh, they identified with him more than they did with Luca, who is just kind of a, a unicorn, right? I mean, the way he uses the ball and and what he can do and how he does it—it's all very odd. It's a little bit like it was with Dirk. He was a unicorn, you know. He was the first stretch forward. He changed everything, and that's all great. But when you got a guy who's different from everybody else, then you have to operate differently from the from the NBA norm and you have to have a different kind of package put together around him and it took them the Mavericks a while to do that you know they wasted a lot of Dirk's good years before they finally won a title because they they couldn't put that around him and they're struggling to put something around Luca as well uh and that's just an unfortunate you know chain of events it's not like those two things are connected they're two great players and they're two you know, international players. And so, you know, you could say that maybe you shouldn't do that. And that's crazy. They're great talents and you have to maximize those talents, even if it's very difficult. And so far they, what's clear is they, they're clearly not up to the task of putting that talent around them. They've done a poor job of it. Uh, I, I think in some ways I feel like even more so now with Luca than they did with Dirk. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just kind of a mess. It, it, almost everything that they should do or, or could do, uh, it doesn't work out. You know, give up a first round draft choice for Christian Wood, and then that you weren't even three months into that thing, and it's like, yeah, well, this isn't working. You know, I mean, how, how does that happen? You know, you know, the other day, Jason Kidd said, well, we have a very slim margin for error. It's like, really? A very slim margin for error? That That's an indictment of, of the roster you've put together here. 
I know they've been hurt a lot, and that's been the big issue all year long. Lots of injuries. That's that's right. Uh, but when you're saying you have a, a slim margin for error, that's not good. No, it's not. All right. That's going to do it for our podcast this week. We thank everybody for coming in and listening. Uh, we appreciate that. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about what happened at that Super Bowl. But by then we'll know, or you would think we would know, uh, if the Cowboys have a defensive coordinator. And, uh, and Evan will be in spring training by then. Uh, so he'll get to tell me what the, the new digs are like that we're staying at uh, in surprise. They're the same digs as last year. The same digs? Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, is that the one where they uh, where the heat came on and it was 120 degrees in the, in, the, uh, in the house? No, that was a while ago, Kevin. That was? Okay. I still like to think about that one, though. And, and, and grabbing that, that door handle when it was like hot, so hot I could hardly touch it and still opening the door. That was really stupid of me to go ahead and open that door. So lucky I didn't get blown out. What a fun night that was. Yeah, you betcha. All right, so from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.